Hello, and welcome to the Global Trading Podcast. I'm Terry Flanagan, editor of Global Trading. Global Trading is a markets media group editorial platform. Today, our topic of the podcast is modernization of technology for asset managers. This is a highly relevant topic on the buy side these days. There's lots of older legacy technology still being used. One industry estimate is that as much as 80% of capital budgets industry-wide currently goes toward keeping the lights on. Of course, it's costly to replace or overhaul technological systems, but it can be more costly over the long term to leave the legacy technology in place, as that means can mean you're a step behind the competition. Here to make sense of all this and discuss the pros and cons of legacy systems, challenges, risks, and benefits of technology migrations, very pleased to introduce Gemma Hagen. Gemma is Director of Technology at Aspect Capital, which is a UK-based systematic asset manager with more than $9 billion under management. Gemma, hello. Thank you very much for joining us on the Global Trading Podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great. If we can just learn a little more, a little bit more about you at first, if you can just talk just a little bit about your own professional background and Aspect Capital and what is your specific role and responsibilities at the firm? As you said, thank you. I'm Director of Technology at Aspect Capital. So I look after the three teams in technology, which are data, software development and production. I actually come from a software development background. I studied computing at Imperial College. I actually started off in Deutsche Bank on the grad program doing uh, FX HFT trading. I moved actually from there to Aspect for the first time. I've been at Aspect twice and I focused on front office development and execution algos. I then decided to sort of take a career break and I went traveling for just under a year, which was wonderful, but I suppose we're not here to talk about that. (laughs) And when I came back, I joined a friend of mine who'd started a proprietary HFTFX trading company, and I'd I'd worked with him at Deutsche Bank. There was only two of us, and I worked on building all of the sort of systems involved in running an HFT platform, all C++-based, lots of kind of requirements of knowledge around infrastructure as well. And, And alongside that, I started consulting on FX litigation cases as well. So really in those few years, I began to specialise quite heavily in in execution and specialise even more so in FX execution. I left Pilot actually because Aspect were embarking on a pretty significant execution project integrating with a third-party EMS with a particular focus on improving our FX trading. So actually, it seemed like a really good fit at the time. And I left Pilot and moved to Aspect to lead the execution development team. So I did that work, led that team, mainly focused on that integration project, and then went off on maternity leave and had my lovely little boy. When I came back, I was more in a consulting role, actually, because I didn't really have a home anymore. So I was consulting on projects all over technology, wherever people need me, wherever we were trying to make more strategic decisions, particularly around investing to modernize legacy systems. A lot of the bigger projects are born from that kind of a problem. And 
after performing that role for a good while, I was appointed as director of technology in in 2021. And that brings us to today, really. Okay, great. Thank you for that. It's uh, certainly a very interesting background. So, So looking at our topic, looking squarely at our topic, how would you characterize the current state of technology on the buy side? I mean, we're talking either industry-wide and or at Aspect Capital in terms of its modernity, if that's a word, in fact. But, you know, how modern is it? Are there deficiencies here in terms of the technology being too old? Yeah, so I think it's actually a real mix across the industry. I think you'll find the more established companies obviously carrying the weight of legacy systems much more so than than the companies that were established maybe in the last sort of five years where they've built modern from, from the beginning I suppose I think you you know your point about how much legacy how many legacy systems there are and how much keep the lights on work there actually is is quite true aspect I'd, I'd say we have a lot of legacy systems but we do still deliver huge amounts of business change, I suppose. So having a legacy system doesn't necessarily preclude being quick at delivering other things. But at the same time, there's there's huge modernization projects going on across the industry. And so much of this is, is driven by the change in the tech space over the last five years. There's, you know, if you just look at the advent of cloud, the way investors are so much more comfortable with migrating to the cloud now, the sort of huge rise in the number of vendor platforms and industry standard tooling that's available to us. So I think we're in this state of quite significant change where many firms of the more established firms are embarking on ever more significant modernization projects, uh, but they do still carry a lot of legacy systems as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the, the legacy technology that is out there, I think I've heard that generally this technology was developed, created, built mostly around the 1990s, give or take some. So I'm you know, wondering what is your sense of that? How old is this legacy technology and how useful does it remain in the you know, February 2022? Yeah, so I, I think you're right, actually. I think you're looking at decades, decade old technology, at least the core of those platforms. And obviously, they're going to be developed frequently. I mean, we have systems aspects that were established back when the company was founded. And yes, they've been built on, yes, they've been changed, but the core of them, the premise of them remains largely unchanged. And actually, that's a really interesting aspect of, of legacy technology. I think you can conflate legacy with not useful, but actually often legacy systems are really a sign of very good development because they're a sign that you've built a system that has really stood the test of time and is still, you, you will often find these legacy systems are critical systems and form the backbone of your business oftentimes. And so you, it's almost like if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and that's really how legacy systems come to be. Otherwise, they would have been swapped out or, or decommissioned long before. So when an asset management firm looks at their technology estate and is doing, say, a full assessment, what are the pros and cons that a firm needs to assess when it comes to deciding whether or not to you know, go ahead with a significant tech modernization? So I think in terms of pros, I think every every decision to modernize, these projects are typically very long running, very significant, very challenging projects to complete. So I think you're ultimately driven by 
you know, your business value, what what is motivating you to even consider making these changes? And oftentimes these you can divide these into a few different themes, I suppose, at least in terms of, of my experience and, and what I see. I think one, one theme is actually productivity improvements. As systems get older, they're worked on, you know, over many, many years, they become much more difficult to develop. They're, they're hard to maintain and not so easy to support. Maybe they're more difficult to test and actually you you believe that you could improve a lot of that by by modernizing that stack so perhaps you're looking for some productivity improvements the other thing that's always very interesting is just are they still fit for purpose you know decades is a really long time for a technology to match a company technology your technology stack really is a reflection of your business strategy that's you know, it needs to be aligned to to how your business is operating and, and what your mission is as, as a business. And actually, if you find a company that embarks on any particularly significant strategic shift, uh, a good example aspect would be our expansion into being a multi-product company. That really changes the paradigm of, of your business. And, and that has a knock-on effect of the effectiveness and sort of how optimal your, your technology systems are in that new environment with those new goals. So are they fit for purpose anymore? That can be a really big pro to modernizing to sort of improve that. I think you've got a lot of opportunities as well. So you may find more and more so on the buy side, you have a real competitive advantage if you can be quicker, if you can be more scalable, if you can be more agile. And Often you can't do that with legacy systems. You can't do that with legacy infrastructure, particularly data centers are very, very constraining in, in your ability to scale quickly, whereas the cloud offers you this infinite scalability at, you, at your fingertips. So you have a real competitive advantage in, in modernizing as well. And I think, as always, you know, you've got to think about costs, technology costs money to run and with the advent of cloud, with the increase in vendor products, with the you know number of very robust third-party industry standard tools, you have real opportunities when you modernize to actually reduce the cost of your estate significantly under these new cost models and reducing the sort of size of the amount of bespoke code, the bespoke systems that you have. So I think all those things together really add up to the main motivations that anybody would have to invest in such a significant project. But this all comes at a cost, right? So sure. your teams are contended. The technology teams are almost always contended. So when you allocate resource to a migration project, that comes with an opportunity cost of not being able to deliver other business priorities. So you, you do have to consider where you are with your business and where should your focus be at the moment? Um, and is modernization the right thing for you to focus on? And the other thing is, as I kind of mentioned, that these systems are often really critical systems. So they're very high risk to migrate which can make it slower. You have to be slightly, you have to be agile, you have to be methodical um, and you have to mitigate the risks that those types of migration poses. But I don't think there are cons as such, more just considerations in, in mm-hmm. Okay, so if, if we're looking, the, the buy side is certainly a very broad industry. Are there any areas within the buy side that this discussion of modernization is most pertinent? I mean, 
front office, middle office, back office, or any area specific uh, within the trade life cycle that this you know issue is most acute currently? I th- yeah, I think it's kind of spread everywhere. I think you get these huge competitive wins in the research and data research infrastructure space. You really have opportunities there to modernize in a way that gives you a competitive edge. You, you, know, you can get data in quicker. You can analyze more data sets more frequently. You can have more scalability in your simulation environment. So all of those things are that kind of often driven by business, commercial business advantages of modernizing. But equally, you know, on the middle and back office side, there's a huge drive towards outsourcing. You know, you, you don't bring any particular secret source through having many, many lines of code and data centers full of servers to, to, to manage settling your trades, right? Like there are opportunities there to just outsource to somebody that frankly will probably do it better than you do. And so and, and you also get that critical mass, right? The more people use common tools, the more easy using those tools becomes and the more opportunities you have through integrating with them. I think I think it's quite mainly on the research and front office side, it's it's definitely driven by commercial value. And middle and back office side, I would say it's more driven by efficiencies. Okay, so so say when a company does decide to do a big technological migration, what exactly does this entail? You know, when I'm thinking of uh, someone renovating a house, for example, they might need to move out for 90 days. Does you know? Does everyone have to move out of the office for six months? And so, what does this entail? And also, a second part of this question, kind of, how much of this tech migration can be done in house, and and what might uh, more typically be needed? help with from sell-side technology solution providers? Yeah, so that's a good, a good question. I think they all, all these modernizations somewhat follow a similar pattern. I think first and foremost, you need to know why you're doing it. You need to know what your goal is. You need to do the analysis to be confident that the investment is worth making. And then it's a case of strategizing around what modernization looks like in this context. And more and more, the first place I go here is is thinking outsourcing. Which of these problems that we're trying to modernize are generic problems whereby we could very much benefit from an ever-evolving product that is cutting edge in the field, but doesn't hinder our ability to make the more proprietary aspects of our systems work. So it's not a hindrance to be trying to fit in with some generic model. And, and good examples, I suppose, are aspects would be a data, data platform revamp that we're doing where actually using a third-party cloud-native data platform that manages you know, the segregation of storage from your compute, it manages infinite elasticity, it gives you the opportunity to have kind of pay-as-you-go pricing models, all of those things are super appealing. And you have to think through where it's worth you spending development effort against where you should look to use an outsource provider. And, and one thing I find actually that isn't done well often, and an aspect we're really learning now to do this quite exceptionally well, is proof of concepts. If you're trying to make an outsourcing decision, 
you build this hypothetical kind of, you build your premise for why you think this system is, or this product is, is the right product for you. But you need to test that quite rigorously. So re- taking the care and the time to devise a proof of concept is one of the most critical things that you can do because often if you pick an outsource provider, you will be stuck with them for a very long time. And so you, you can't afford to make a mistake in that decision at all, really. And so conducting well thought out proof of concepts and not being afraid to fail on those proof of concepts, it is fine if you do a PAC and it takes you four weeks and you decide you don't want the product, that's totally fine. So don't feel locked in before before you have to be. I suppose the other aspect is, is when we, especially in the kind of cloud world, often our, our sort of projects at the moment do involve cloud migrations. You really need to think quite holistically about your entire stack. If you, you, it's not just about the software system at the top. It's not just about moving from the data center to the cloud. It's not just about the platform that you're running on. All of these things work very much together, very closely together. So, you know, if you want to move to the cloud, maybe that means you also have to move to Linux. If you want to move to, if you want to get cost benefits from moving to the cloud, you don't want to run a load of EC2 instances running Windows. You, you have to think through your entire tech stack to get a good picture of what modernization actually looks like and always keep in mind that goal that you set at the beginning, why are we doing this, this migration at all? And I think the other thing is is looking beyond, you, you've got vendor products, but, but you've also got third-party tools, often open source, such a great industry technology and get so much free stuff. And these things weren't around when these legacy systems were written. They, they just didn't exist. So you, you have to look at that boilerplate code you've written and say, is this a capability that actually now is just solved by a generic industry standard tool that I should use in place of all of this bespoke code? And you can find you can really reduce your estate by taking the time to look at those. So I think there's that whole planning kind of vision aspect, paint the picture, do your analysis side, and then you've actually got to do the work, I suppose. And that's where you think about your phases, your risk mitigation, like how do you deliver business value in a long running project? And you, you also sort of mentioned actually the how much can you do yourself? I think that's a really good question because oftentimes when you're modernizing, particularly in the beginning stages, your, your initial projects for a company that's modernizing, for instance, if you are like so many of these, these companies are, if you are migrating to the cloud, you know, do you have that expertise in-house? Oftentimes, you don't have enough. You don't have enterprise, you know, cloud experience, for instance, necessarily in your kind of permanent staff. And I think, you know, consultants leverage those consultants, work with those, work with the people that really know what they're doing, that can help sort of guide your architecture, guide your decision making and advise you on the best approach. And that that sort of allows the rest of your team as well to learn learn these new technologies being guided by experts in the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, so say a company does go through with it and uh, a significant technological migration. What is the end benefit of this? And 
specifically? I, I, I know, I think we've covered this uh, somewhat in the discussion so far, but what are the, really the key tangible end benefits and, and what is the risk of putting off uh, tech migration? Yeah, so I think whatever your business drivers were, so we sort of said productivity, um, fit for purpose, and can't even remember what else now, but we sort of said outlined those kind of areas that we think are particularly good motivators. I suppose beyond those, you have a lot of unexpected benefits, I guess, or, or less tangible benefits. Projects like this are, are really good for teams. You know, technologists love working with new technologies. They love um, particularly technical, challenging projects. They love learning. And I think that sort of, those opportunities, providing your staff those opportunities, really makes a difference to retention, right? You, people want to work there where they feel engaged, where they feel challenged, where they feel like they're learning. And also, the more legacy you get, the harder hiring is. You, you struggle to hire people now, particularly mm-hmm. to give junior opportunities. You, you can't hire people on legacy technologies. They're just not interested. They want to go and do all the fun, new, shiny stuff. So it's also important for, for that aspect as well. But I think often these migrations, you start off with this goal and you uncover all these maybe quite unexpected opportunities along the way. I, th- I think if you look, for instance, you know, we, we've, been trying to invest in in execution research over the last year or so and the further we go into that investment and it's by no means complete but the further you go down that path the more you realize actually we're opening up huge opportunities across research here we're opening up the opportunities to diversify strategies to do better kind of signal generation off of different processing of tick data we didn't set out with the goal of being able to diversify into short-term trading strategies. We set out with a goal of investing in execution research technology in order to you know, do better TCA and things like that. But these opportunities do crop up out of, out of nowhere almost. Um, and you do see the ability to apply the benefits to other areas of your, of your business. I think if you don't modernise, the longer you leave it, it just, it's just the harder it is, right? The, the, the bigger something grows, the, the less accessible it becomes, the more and more difficult it is to actually do the project. It just kind of things get cobwebs, right? And, and it just mm-hmm. gets harder. But you you will be left behind. You, you can't be in a position where, you know, oh, you didn't bother migrating anything to the cloud. So actually now you need more compute resource and you can't get it because you've got to rejig your data centers or you've got to do this, that and the other, or you need to deliver changes quickly, but you never bothered investing in this system. So you you can't get those changes in or even worse, you, you let your system rot to the point that there's too much operational risk there. And because you haven't cared for it and sort of looked after it, you have some significant failing in your company you know you you do something wrong and you damage your your clients you you can't take the risk of staying still in in technology at all i don't think sure okay and gentlemen just as my final question uh if we could spin this forward a bit what do you think the future holds say if we were having the same discussion three or five years time where might the buy side be with technological modernization and is 
is today's technology tomorrow's legacy technology? Is is today's uh, state of the art technology tomorrow's legacy technology? Yes. So almost certainly on the latter, almost certainly yes. Right. Technology is probably the fastest evolving field out of all fields. It just changes at lightning speed, and it's hard to keep up. And that's actually one of the reasons why modernization is so hard because you always have this plethora of choice in in which path where do you put your money if you know what I mean I believe this will be the right technology to adopt Mm -hmm. you always have so many options that to pick the right one is often often challenging and and actually it's worth mentioning that's a real benefit of being a late mover because (laughs) you can learn from other people's mistakes you can wait for something to be more established before you move on to it so I think it you know technology will become legacy quickly it it always does but some really strong themes are definitely cloud infrastructure people are going to be running in the cloud you know people's research infrastructure will be running in the cloud and if it isn't you're going to be at a disadvantage in terms of the speed agility and kind of breadth of research that you can that you can perform i think I I mean, I wonder in my mind, I suppose, I don't really know, but I do wonder with all of this cloud migrations, at what point will exchanges and brokers and liquidity providers start moving to the cloud? Because at the moment, you've got this sort of forced need in more latency sensitive scenarios. You've got this real need to have a hybrid infrastructure because you can't have nothing in your data center for anything that's sort of latency sensitive in order to reach brokers quickly or reach the market quickly. You can't be doing, you know, lots of hoops through the clouds and back on prem and back out the door to to a broker. So I do wonder at what point people on that side of the fence will start moving into into the cloud rather than being in in the traditional data centers. But I think that's a really hard one. I think we've built our whole infrastructure and finance around, you know, proximity right like so much money has gone into have we you know can we squeeze the most out of every microsecond it's a lot to give up for for people to just say oh actually we'll move all that to to the cloud what does that mean for high frequency trading what does that mean for cross-connecting you know all of those things become quite big questions and and i'm not really sure of the direction that, that will go in there Okay, if I could just throw in one bonus question. I've been curious, you mentioned you traveled for a year. Uh, If you could just just talk briefly, where did you go and where's your your favorite travel destination? So I went, so my brother and sister, we're not from Mexico, but they both live in in Mexico. My sister had been there. Uh, My brother's been there since 20 or so years, but uh, my sister had moved out and she had her little niece there. So I I spent a lot of time in Cancun and Playa del Carmen with them. And I also did lots of trips to Central America as well, which was, you know, very exciting stories around that, maybe for another type of podcast. Lots of solo solo traveling in quite sketchy areas. But my favorite place in, in Central America was San Blas Island in Panama, which I've, I I couldn't believe how how incredibly beautiful they were. I'd very much advise a visit, sort of over 300 desert islands, tiny desert islands off the coast of Panama. It's it's truly amazing. Interesting. I've never heard of that. I'll have to look that up. Well, thank you, Gemma Hagen. We really 
Really appreciate it. I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been an excellent discussion on technological modernization on the buy side. So Gemma, thanks once again for being on the Global Trading Podcast with us. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Terry Flanagan. This has been the Global Trading Podcast. My guest today, Gemma Hagen, Director of Technology at Aspect Capital. 